Hey, if you have your Bibles, open it up to Isaiah. We're going to make everyone use their Bibles and technology today. Unless, uh, unless the guys in the back can, can race to those scripture references. Open it up to Isaiah chapter 7 and then put your finger there. Open it up to Isaiah 9. You can put your finger there and then the first chapter of John's gospel. And we're just going to read a few verses each place, but they all relate to one another. And again, we're still talking about finishing a season and we're just about there. You can see, you can see the checkered flag coming up for us, and uh, we want to finish well, and we're still talking about that, finishing a season, and I want to share with what I've entitled today, God is on our side. God is on our side. Doesn't always feel that way, does it? Sometimes it feels like, am I fighting God himself? And sometimes if you're running from him, you may well be fighting him as he's reaching out and trying to draw you back to him. But, but if you're walking with him and you love him and you're wanting his will, I, I want you to know unequivocally that God is on your side. In Isaiah, I want to read to you one passage. It's a prophecy concerning the birth of the Lord. Isaiah 7, 14, familiar words. It says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now, there have been people through the years that have tried to tell us that the virgin birth wasn't important, but I, I want you to know that the reason the virgin birth is important is because it speaks directly to the nature of Jesus himself. In fact, they'll oftentimes try to tell you that the Hebrew word simply means young girl or young maiden, and there has maybe nothing to do with a conception that was supernatural in nature. But, but I just want to remind you here when we say a sign. It says, this will be a sign unto you. It's no sign for a young woman to get pregnant. There are a lot of women that get pregnant when they're young. That's not a sign. This is a sign when a young woman gets pregnant and she's had no relationship with a human being. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. Jump over to Isaiah chapter 9, and I want to read just the sixth verse. Again, all prophecies regarding the birth of the Lord. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And listen to this. And his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor, listen, mighty God. How many of you know when your children are, are born, you usually don't name them mighty God? I've heard some being named a prince, but never, and I think that's rather presumptuous at times, but, but to be named mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then finally, Let's get some New Testament in here. John's Gospel, chapter 1. John's Gospel isn't often used as a, a Christmas book. The Christmas account is found in most detail in Matthew's Gospel and in Luke's Gospel. But in John's Gospel, we find in verse 14, really a Christmas statement. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory 
the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, not just grace, and truth. Full of grace and truth. Let's talk for just a few moments on what we've entitled, God is on our side. Um, the Christmas season, it seems like, uh, for the women in particular, is always the season to catch all the new Hallmark Lifetime Netflix Christmas movies. I don't know the names of all the movies, the new ones that have come out. All I know is this. Hallmark must spend from December 27th to the next, November the 1st, making the next year's Christmas movies. There's got to be 30 new Christmas movies out on the Hallmark Channel. Uh, I know there's one good movie I can recommend. I think it's a great movie on Netflix that's entitled The Christmas Chronicles. It has one cuss word in it, does it? All right, just go la, la, la when it's coming up and, and you will miss that. But I, I thought it was, for Christmas movies, a pretty good Christmas movie. So uh, if you need a recommendation, there you go. But I started thinking, and I posted it on my Facebook site this morning, just the thought that had come to me that if an alien were to land in America during the Christmas season and were to watch our television sets, particularly the channels that I mentioned to you, to try to get a grasp as to what Christmas was all about, they would have to make the deduction that Christmas seems to be about old boyfriends and girlfriends finding one another again and being able to get their relationship back on track. That they would somehow deduce from watching the movies that it was important to quit your corporate job and leave the urban area and go move in a rural situation and make sure you're working on a farm somewhere. Um, if they were to watch television and were to, do, to deduce what Christmas is all about, Christmas has something to do with finding out your family and making sure you're spending time with them and your priorities were reflected in that and that you use the term love and warmth a lot. Now, I could go on, but you know all the storylines of the Hallmark Channel. There's, and there's been some good ones, notably on Lifetime. Lifetime usually is not a great channel to watch, but there have been notably a couple of good things that have come across on the Lifetime Channel even. But it's easy as we begin to sort of measure these things by the media presentation, that if you were an alien and then suddenly someone told you, no, no, Christmas has nothing to do with all of what you're seeing on television. It actually has everything to do with God becoming man. There is some irony, I think, in seeing how, how much secular television tries to strain at bringing some sense of profoundness to the Christmas message by people somehow interacting with each other in a certain way and neglecting the incarnation. It almost, there's almost a sense of irony in how we have detoured ourselves from a storyline that really would put Hallmark under. God became man. Not you found your old boyfriend. Merry Christmas. You got to quit corporate America. Merry Christmas. No, God 
became man. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Christmas, the name itself literally means Christ's body. Every time we see the word Christmas, that's what's being declared. Christ's body. Christ, who was always, he's always been, he always shall be, he always is. Christ became flesh. God enfleshed himself in human form and lived amongst us. Jesus was not just a great teacher. He was not just a great philosopher. He just didn't have a lot of cool things to say. He just wasn't the essence of pacifism and, and compassion and, and tolerance. Jesus was God himself saying to the world, here I am. This is what your God looks like. If you ever wonder what God looks like, just take a look at Jesus. And then you understand. So Christmas is important to us because we need at least a yearly reminder that the incarnation is a vital concept that continually needs reinforcement. How do I know this? It's because we make a billion Christmas movies on stupid things. Oh, are they fun? Are they kind of romantic? Is it kind of just a neat storyline? Nothing evil. But how detoured have we become to miss? I'm waiting for the Hallmark movie where someone enters in and says, this is what it's about. Christ has come. The best I've seen lately as even putting anything spiritual in was, was one of the Christmas movies actually had a church. The problem was the pastor was gay, and when they had the Christmas party, the pastor and his gay, his gay spouse danced at the Christmas party, loving it up. Oh, but there's no agenda, is there? No. Christ came full of grace and truth. Most people don't know that the first 400 years, get this in your system, 400 years. You understand America hasn't been around 400 years. The first 400 years of the early church was ostensibly a debate about who and what Jesus is. The first 400 years, every council that was called, every heresy that cropped up, Every issue that the church had to get its arms around swirled around the issue of who is this Jesus. Heresies were identified and they were dispelled. It, be, it became so critical that the early church identified true and false prophets based on the incarnation. Open up your Bibles. Are you following me along? We haven't done this for a while, but open up to 1 John chapter 4. Quickly move there, either by technology or using old school methods. 1 John chapter 4, listen to this. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they're of God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God, that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Do you understand how important the incarnation was to the early church. They said, you know how you begin by figuring out who's the real deal and who's not, whether or not they will make the affirmation that God came and enfleshed himself in human form. 
Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. The incarnation. How God became man. I'm, I'm giving you all the fancy terms now, all right? I, I'm, not, I'm only going to be able to do this now for this week and next week, and it's over. The term they used was hypostatic union. How does, how does the nature of God combine with the nature of man? And the, and the fancy word was hypostatic union. There was this union that, that God became man, and he wasn't half God or half man. He wasn't just a superman or a little god. He was fully God and he was fully man. He was 100% God and he was 100% man. There was no dilution of either one. It almost, it almost causes your mind to go tilt. And Paul would even, when he would talk about it, say that there is some mystery to this, but there's only been one who's ever done it. And that was Jesus himself. But the question is, why was this so important? As I was reading that passage in 1 John, I thought to myself, why is incarnation so important? Why didn't they say that, that, that a false prophet and a true prophet had to affirm the crucifixion? That seems like that would have made more sense in some ways. Or how about the resurrection? That you'll know if they're true or false, or if they're of the spirit of Antichrist, whether or not they affirm the resurrection. That, that would make a lot of sense. Or how about the ascension? They should, they should affirm that. But it says here that in order for you to know, they've got to get the incarnation right. Now, we've been talking about how important it is for all of us to understand that it's not how you start, it's how you finish, right? That's been, our, that's been a kind of our theme phrase. It's not how you start, but how you finish. But hear me when I say this, because I'm not backpedaling on that statement, but if you get started wrong, you'll finish wrong. Isn't that true? If you go, if you're looking to go to a, a city somewhere, let's say you're going north. You're going north to New York. And if you jump on a plane that's flying you west to Los Angeles, here's the deal. It doesn't matter how sincere you were getting on the plane. It doesn't matter how genuine you were getting on the plane. It doesn't matter just anything at all about what you thought if the plane's going the wrong way, you're not going to end up in New York. Now hear me, if we don't get the incarnation right, it doesn't matter what happens later on down the road. And that's basically what they were saying in the early church. If you don't get this right, you're going to be off as you move down the road. And they dealt with all kinds of heresies. There were probably a dozen different heresies with all of these fancy, difficult names. Marcionism, docetism, Gnosticism. I think that's me going off right now. If you hear me dinging, that's, that's giving me your Christmas spirit right now. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Bear with me as I turn my phone off. There we go. If you start wrong, it will cause you to end wrong. If you don't understand why God came as he did, you will never fully grasp the totality of redemption. So I'm going to give you, what did I put down here? I believe seven, no, excuse me, six important statements as to why we celebrate incarnation, why this is so important. We put it on the calendar. 
The church put it on the calendar so that every year we would come around at least one time a year and we would focus on this. We're not focusing, we're not focusing on your old boyfriend. We're not going to focus on your old girlfriend. We're not going to focus on your job. We're not going to focus just on your family. Which I always find interesting that on the Hallmark Channel, everybody's running back to family. And I say to myself, for most people, they're running to dysfunction when they do that. So we're just not talking about that. We're talking about incarnation. Number one is this. You'll have to write it down because we weren't going to put it on the screen overhead. Why is incarnation important? Number one is because it examples that God initiates. You can write down the word initiate. Everyone say initiate. God initiates the plan to solve a problem. This is Gospel 101. You are dead in your trespasses and sins before you met Jesus. You're dead, you're blind, you're clueless. You have no conception. You say, well, I don't know about that because I sort of had an awareness. Let me tell you, you know where that awareness came from? It didn't come from you. It came from the grace of God reaching out to you, causing something to come alive inside of you to think about him. The world wasn't thinking about him. We don't think about him before we're saved until he initiates it. He sends a grace that begins to initiate something inside of you that begins to leap and jump and say, you know what, there's a God and I wonder what he's like and I wonder how I can know him and I wonder how I can establish this relationship and I'm telling you, God is the one that initiates this. How do I know it? It's because when the world was deep in gross darkness in the first century, God said the time was at hand, I'll initiate the thing and I'm going to intervene. That's why incarnation is important. He initiates. God initiates. Number two is this. God, through the incarnation, identifies. He identifies with us. I'm not a process theologian, so I, I, I'm just telling you that, that I may say this imprecisely, so bear with me. But, but, but it has to be said some as ineptly as I will probably say it. I'm going to try to say it anyway. That, that, that from... From the moment human beings came into existence, God knew, God knew, because God knows everything. God knew and knows what you go through, how you go through it. He knows bad circumstances. He, there's nothing that escapes him. But hear me when I say this. When God enfleshed himself, it was different in this way. That now he not only knows, but that he feels. It's not that he just sympathizes with your plight, he empathizes with your plight. That's incarnation. So when you go to God and you say, God, you're clueless, you don't get what I'm going through, you don't understand, God says, time out, Jesus. Nobody had that bad of day. I get it. Start to finish, he identifies. Number three, Incarnation is important because God got involved. Everyone say now involved, involved. He initiates, he identifies, and now he's involved. He's involved in our mess. God rolled up his sleeves, so to speak, and he stepped into humanity, and he got involved in our mess. We don't often realize that God had options, I think, with us. When Adam and Eve sinned, he could have just said, well, those two blew it. We'll just blow the thing up and start over again. But that's not what God did. He said, no, 
I'm going to get involved in this thing. And incarnation is him getting involved. He's not this distant God. He's not this faraway God. He's an involved God who walked amongst us. People heard his voice. They saw his face. They wrote things down. He was involved. Number four, why is incarnation important? Because God revealed his image to us. God can be understood because we've seen him. We understand what he looks like. We, 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 we get his, his heart. We understand his motives because of Jesus. His image was unveiled to us. We, we literally, it's not a God that we cover ourselves up. It's a God that we can look eye to eye and face to face in Jesus and see his image revealed to us. Number five, the incarnation is important because God affirmed the integrity of humanity. This is really important because a lot of the early heresies sprung out of the, out of the thinking that somehow or another, if God was holy, how, it, how, in, how in the world could this holy God uh, enflesh himself in this human skin? Because, because they had this teaching that to be human was to be evil. You're not, you're not evil as a human being. You're evil because there's a carnal nature that exists inside of you that you got from your great-great-great-great-great-granddad and grandma, Adam and Eve. And God can address that. But when he created man and he created woman, what did he say when he created them in the flesh? He said that this is what? Good. This skin isn't evil. Now, this skin can do evil, but this skin does evil because of the nature of, that needs to be addressed. But this skin in and of itself, God declared to be good. He's happy with who human beings are. It, we were the pinnacle of his creation. We were, the, we were indeed the apple of his eye. There was no higher thing that he could do than, than create us. Are we not a mystery? Are we not this incredible, I mean, this heart that just beats and how does it keep beating? Who's making it? And these lungs that keep breathing, and it happens at night when you're asleep. The blood that circulates, the organs that move, this body is just this incredible, miraculous, amazing instrument that God created in each one of us. He stamped a unique DNA line, and he stamped a unique fingerprint in, and God did all these things, and he declared it to be good, and the incarnation is God one more time saying is that I think being a human being is good. You're not evil as a human being. You're evil because of your carnal nature, and here's the good news. The good news is the Holy Spirit can deal with that carnal spirit. And so that which may have a propensity to do evil can now be addressed through the gospel to do incredible, righteous, good things. That's why incarnation is important. Incarnations, you see, that's what you don't get on the Hallmark movie. Everybody wants to do this good stuff, but they're doing this good stuff because they just, they just feel like they ought to be doing it, like there's some moral imperative. No one knows where it comes from. I'll tell you where it comes from. It comes from the grace of God intervening in people's lives, addressing their selfish natures. And incarnation reminds us of that. 
Hallmark needs to start every movie with, it's about Jesus, then do your thing, and then end it with, it's about Jesus. And then number six, and finally, it's this. He initiated, he identifies, he got involved, he revealed his image, he affirms the integrity of humanity, and finally, number six, we received insight into the divine. You want to know what God is like, what God thinks? All you have to do is look at Jesus. Jesus. I often say this. We, our God has a face. Our God has a name. I know, I understand that we come to church and we'll use terms like God and the Lord. But I think there are moments we just need to intentionalize in our own personal walks and use the name Jesus. Jesus. That's the name which is above every name. That's the name that we conclude our prayers in because if anything is spoken in his name, it's done. Jesus. Jesus is the name that demons flee from. Jesus. Our God has a name. He's not just a nebulous God. Our God is Jesus. Jesus. And we get insight into this Jesus as we come and celebrate in this time of year. I want you to remember Jesus has come. He, come. he came to be just like you and just like me in order to demonstrate to us that it actually could be done, that we could walk as he walked, that we could do as he did, and that, yes, we could even be as he is. That's a pretty amazing thing. The Bible says that. We have become partakers as well of the divine nature. I tell you what. That'd make a great Hallmark movie. I think it really would. The incarnation. God became flesh and dwelt among us. I'd like to ask my wife if you come join me, please. And we're going to receive communion momentarily, and we're going to set it up. A special song is going to be sung today, and I wanted her to preface it. This week as I was driving to work, I heard a song, and for me, it was the first time I'd heard it. I'm sure many of you have heard it before. It's called The Prayer. And it was originally done by Celine Dion, but it's been done um, as a Christian with Christian artist Natalie Grant. And I think the other guy's name, some, I can't think what his name is. He won the, won the voice or something like that. And um, it was just so powerful. I just began to think of all of you. And I began to cry in the car, and I called the pastor, and I was like, okay, I've got the song for Sunday. <laughs> and, um, but, but the song is so powerful, and the way they sing it is so powerful that I thought we might miss what they're saying. So I've asked uh, Pastor Brad to give us the lyrics on the screen. But the reason I thought it was so powerful is because today will be the last time that we will have communion together. But it says... Help us find our place. Lead us with your grace so that we will be safe. And that's our prayer for all of you is we want you to be safe. We want you to find a pastor, not just a church, but a pastor, someone who will care for you the way that we have cared for you. So today we dedicate this song to you. I'd like to invite our elder team to 
come forward, if you would, please, and if you'd station yourselves here and here, if the congregation would stand with me.